kind of like to see a sermon rather than hear one. You know, kind of another similar saying is that, you know, more lessons are caught than taught. So we're going to look at how we can get away with God by diving into the busy day of Jesus. We're going to see one of his busiest days and how he responded to that. We're going to see the rise of Jesus' popularity and how he responded to that. We're going to see Jesus in one of his toughest moments and how he responded to that. Every one of those he responded with withdrawing to pray. There's a documentary, it's, it's now on Amazon Prime, it's on iTunes as well. It's called Mr. Rogers and Me. It's a documentary on Mr. Rogers. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. I've seen it about three times and listened all the way through a fourth. And, and it's great. To me, it was kind of a life-changing, not life-changing, but a life-impacting documentary. And there's a few key phrases that's mentioned in this documentary. See, Mr. Rogers was a minister himself. He felt led, though, to minister to children and families through public television. But Mr. Rogers himself would quote someone else named Bo Lazoff. And these are a couple key phrases that he says. He says that all of the problems of our world can be summed up in this. Life is deep, and the predominantly way that we live our life is not. Life is deep, but our predominant lifestyle is not. And something else that he says, which Mr. Rogers would like to quote, is that deep and simple is more essential than shallow and complex. Deep and simple is more essential than shallow and complex. Mr. Rogers, Bo Lazoff, whoever, you know, when they created that phrase, they had to have been looking at Jesus Christ. And the depth and the simplicity that he lived his life. And if we want to get more specific, they had to be looking at Jesus' prayer life. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early in the morning. And for you a non-morning people, I wish I could go into the Greek and tell you, well, that actually means late afternoon. I'm sorry it doesn't. If you dive in, like with all those resources that are, that are out there, if you dive in, the early, very early in the morning actually refers you to the fourth watch of the night, which approximately is between 3 a.m. ouch and 6 a.m. So very early in the morning, Jesus gets up 
gets dressed, makes his way out of the house, and prays. Now, you would think he'd sleep in because the day before was a crazy day. And actually, his day ended maybe only a few hours before. He had the late night, early morning. Jesus did get some sleep. But while it's still dark, he gets up, goes outside to a solitary place and prays. It's a solitary place, which means it's quiet, desolate, lonely. Maybe you could even say lonely in a good way. Away from anything that might distract Jesus from having his conversation with God. Now the New Testament tells us that, Jim, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus who can calm the storm. Jesus who can cast out demons with the word. Jesus who can heal every kind of sickness or disease with a touch. Jesus who can walk on water. Jesus who will ultimately defeat death and rise again needed to pray. Gosh, if he needed that, the Son of God needed to get away to pray. How much more do we need it more and more? So he gets away to a solitary place. Now here's what happened the day before. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 21. So they, which is Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, which was the day before, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. See, the common way of teaching in that day was that if you were, if you were teaching, then you would quote a list of scholars after what you said to give credibility to your teaching. Jesus, however, when he taught, he didn't say according to so-and-so or, or this person said this or that. He'd say, but I say. And then the veracity of Jesus' own words lended credibility to what he said. And then Jesus gets Get this, he gets heckled by a demon-possessed man. Mark 1, 23, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, if you wanted something a little creepy, this one individual, demon-possessed, says, What do you want with us? That's kind of creepy. You know, when you think about when Jesus ran into the, the demon-possessed man who came up to him by, by, the, uh, by the shore, and Jesus said, what is your name? What did the demon say? The demon said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Oh, it's, just, it's just creepy. 
I mean, anytime when you think about that, you got to think about the verse that says that greater is he that is in me than is he that is in the world. And with the word, be quiet, Jesus says sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. That's power that Jesus had. At his word, the demon scattered. Now, you ever wondered why Jesus told the demon to be quiet? I mean, after all, the demon said, you are the Holy One of God. Well, the demons, you know, Satan is in charge of the demons, who is the father of lies. So even though what the demons were saying was true, we can bet that there, it was ill-intentioned because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet for the people to know Jesus' full identity. Because later on in Jesus' ministry, when he reveals further who he is, the religious leaders are ready to kill him. And also, people start kind of beginning to, to wander off because, wait a minute, they're not the Messiah. he's not the Messiah that we wanted. He's talking about suffering and we wanted the Messiah to come in and kick out the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom, you know, that we could reign again at, as, as David once did. But that's not the type of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. So it wasn't time yet. And so he told them to be quiet. Well, how did the people respond? Verse 27 says, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to the impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee, and Jesus' day has just begun. Mark 1.29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That is in Mark. If you look in Luke, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, his background is a physician. And so it's interesting, knowing that background, the Holy Spirit uses him to draw out some insights from the life of Jesus that the others don't because they don't have that background. Because Luke tells us that Simon's mother-in-law had a high or a great fever. In that day, there were two types of fever. There was a regular fever and there was a great fever. And so Luke lets us know that Peter's mother-in-law had the worst of the two fevers. Yet Jesus goes to her bedside. Luke tells us that he rebukes the fever and Jesus takes her by the hand and helps her up. The fever's gone. Jesus had, has healed her. But don't miss what happens is that he completely heals her. How many of us that we might be kind of feeling we're, we got a little sickness, but it still takes us days to recover? Yeah. This lady, Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus heals her of his fever, and then she is completely restored. No need to recover. She is 100% recovered, and she's up, and she's ready, and it seems joyfully to serve Jesus and the disciples and those who are in her house. 
Now, we're not told what happens exactly after this. If it was in our house, what, what usually happens on Sundays after a meal is that we race to take a nap before we have to come back to church in the evening. So I don't know if Jesus did that or not. But we do know what was going on in the community because those people, people that were in the synagogue that day and heard Jesus' teaching. He taught like someone that that they have never heard of, and they saw what Jesus did by casting out the demon-possessed men. They're going all over the town, all over the villages, and telling people about Jesus, and they show up on their doorstep. Mark 1.32 tells us, that evening, after sunset, The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And then once again, Luke fills in. Uh, Here, he says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, and this one, and this one, and this one, Jesus heals them. Jesus could have turned everybody away, come back tomorrow. He could have turned them away and healed them while they were on their way home. He's done that before. He could have saved himself a whole bunch of times by holding up his hands and making some kind of big pronouncement and saying, you're healed, go home. i got to get up at an ungodly morning and pray, so go home. But he didn't. And in his own deep and simple way, Jesus touched each one. And healed them. The busier that Jesus became, the more he withdrew to pray. Mark 135, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. So he got some sleep. He may have only had a couple hours of sleep. But he still got some sleep. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, we're eventually going to get to what does this mean to me. We're not quite there yet. But along the way, I want you to be thinking, where is my solitary place? Where is my place to get away. If Jesus needed it, we need it so much more. Mark 1.36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Got a question for you. How long did Jesus pray? 
And let me read this again. Simon and his companions went to look for him. We don't know exactly how long Jesus prayed, but we know that he prayed long enough that they had to go looking for him. You know, it's a, people say that when you study the Bible, if something is repeated, then it's important. You may have noticed solitary. We're going to, Luke will tell us later on about solitary. It is, that is used a lot. That's important. 33 times in the New Testament, and I'm sorry, 33 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John records instances that Jesus prayed. Prayer was an incredibly important part of Jesus' life. So much so that probably if we were around in that day and we went up to his apostles, where's Jesus? I don't know. He's probably praying. And did you also see that they said, everyone is looking for you. Not only the busier that Jesus' day became, the more he withdrew to pray, the greater the pressure of the popularity, Jesus withdrew to pray. And I don't know which is worse. Not having, not being popular at all or when you're, prop, when you're popular and you're trying to keep it. But Jesus didn't allow the Lord, Jesus didn't allow the pressure of popularity to determine his steps. He still withdrew to pray. It's like Jesus allowed the demands of life to push him towards prayer not from it. Now check out chapter Luke, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And even at the height of Jesus' popularity, right after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus could have become king. John 6 verse 15 tells us, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Mark 6 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus didn't let the pull of popular opinion disrupt his prayer life. It's probably what kept him grounded. It's what can keep us grounded. It had been a real, had to have been a real temptation for Jesus. On one hand, you have becoming king of the world. On the other hand, you have the cruel cross of suffering and death. Jesus chose the cross. Prayer had to have played a critical part in keeping Jesus grounded. It's what kept Jesus focused on living out God's plan and pleasing God rather than people. Prayer is what kept Jesus going even there was, when there was nothing in his schedule that he could cut. Prayer is what kept him going when there were too many people that needed to touch him when each one needed a touch. It kept him going. 
Finally, it was prayer that empowered Jesus to press on to the end, even after the crowds and disciples left him, and knowing that one of his remaining apostles will deny him and the other will betray him. In fact, after he has the the Last Supper with his disciples, John chapter 17, the whole chapter is Jesus' prayer for himself, for his disciples, and for you and me. And then after that, he leaves with his disciples, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane moments before he's arrested, And he goes and prays some more. So what does this mean to me? I want you to take a look on the screen. It's a picture of a stone I want you to see. Now, I'm I'm really curious because I just discovered this, but... Does anyone here know what that is? I mean, I know it's a stone, you know, but do you know really what that is? That is one square inch of silence. That's what that's called. It actually exists in a park in Washington State. It's part of the one square inch of silence project, and it's a very protected area. And it has that designation because if you go to that, now I don't know what prevents that from being moved. We're going to put it over here. But that would be a cruel joke on somebody. But but supposedly you can stand there at that spot, at that park in Washington State, and for 15 minutes you can stand there and hear nothing man-made. No air conditioning, no engines, no mowers, no music, no phones. Complete silence. And the testimony of of some who have gone there, one lady said that it was an incredible, it was an incredibly emotional experience. Of hearing nothing. What does this mean to you and me? It means that we got to get away. We got to find that solitary, uninterrupted place, space. And life will pull at you. Cats, for some reason, will want to be fed in the morning. Dogs will want to be let out. Your phone's going to beep. You got to take care of those things and sit and be with God. We need that. Because a lot of life's problems happen because life is deep. And the predominantly way that we live our life is not. I tell you, yesterday, I dreaded as, as they were trying to determine who won the derby. I was dreading that the whole time because I'm thinking about my sermon and what I'm preaching and what I was going to, going to share right now. And, 
And because I was dreaded that everybody's going to have their comment on Facebook and this and this and this and that, you know, it's just going to kind of cause a controversy. The first time in Derby history, why? <laughs> you know, why can't it just be clear cut when we know? Because we get so shallow and we get on to the likes and, and we got to come up with snarky comments and we like to make a point instead of making a difference in someone's life. Jesus was able to do what he did because Jesus knew that deep and simple is more essential than shallow and complex because Jesus got away. He, the more, the, the busier life got, the more he withdrew to pray. The more the pressure of popularity, the more he withdrew to pray, the tougher that life got. The more... He withdrew to pray. May we do the same. If you are needing prayer this morning, we have some wonderful people that are here to pray with you. There's a cross back there in the corner. And so in a moment when we uh, uh, pass the, the communion, there'll be people there at the cross to, to join you. Now, i got to tell you, speaking of communion, when Jesus hung on the cross, when he's dying on the cross, what did he do? He prayed. And as the emblems are passed and we take of the, the little bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken and we drink of the cup that represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. May we take that and remember Jesus. And then as we do that, may we pray for his Holy Spirit to direct us, to convict us, to guide us so we may find that place and that time where we can withdraw often and pray.